my name is Christy Reeves, and I've been a member at NBC for about 10 years. We'll be reading from John 1, verses 35 through 42. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Hey guys, we are Scott and Emily and Madeline Evans. We have been attending Mansfield Bible for about nine months, and we have been in Greg Lingle's small group for about five, five yeah, I'd say five months. Really one of the main reasons that we wanted to be a part of a small group was so that we could get connected to people our age who could help us kind of grow and mature in our walks with Christ as we helped them grow and mature in theirs, really pour into each other and build that sense of community that, you know, you don't always get on a Sunday morning, but could get to know people who can also be a part of Madeline's life as well and help her grow as she gets older. So if you're thinking about joining a small group, I would say do it. You're going to get to meet some really great people who love you, who love the Lord, and they're going to help you grow both in your relationships with each other as well as your relationship with the Lord. Well, good morning. We are uh, continuing the series, Find Your Place, and we're going to look at John chapter 1 as we talk about that together and think about that passage together. I want to make a statement that I want you to think through this morning as, uh, before we get into the passage, and this is the statement, many of us live in the shadow of someone else. Many of us live in the shadow of someone else. And sometimes that shadow is a very large shadow. It causes us to, uh, it impacts all our lives. Sometimes it's just simply short term. That shadow that we, may, we live in may be a sibling that we have. Uh, that uh, they were very much a high achiever and we weren't as high achieving. Maybe uh, a fellow employee at work and they seem to get all the attention and all the raises and uh, you don't. It might be a business that you own and, and that business isn't doing as well as you see somebody else's business doing. We find that in life there are always those who we live in their shadow. I know when I was growing up I had an older brother or I have an older brother. And uh, my older brother uh, probably has 160 IQ. Uh, he's brilliant. 
Uh, in fact, somebody talked to my cousin and said, said uh, uh, knew my brother and said, that is the smartest guy I've ever met in my life. And think about it, I followed him through school. Yeah, yeah, you know. And so uh, uh, I was David's little brother. I didn't actually kind of have a name of my own. Uh, I don't know if my teachers even really knew my name. Uh, but I, they knew me as, they knew my brother because he was brilliant in the school. He was well known uh, for being smart. He should have been the valedictorian in his class, and yet he made a, a, a B in PE. Yeah. <laughs> Only reason he probably didn't end up being the valedictorian, he still ended up like eighth in his class. And so as I was going through school, I mean, he was the honor roll student, I wasn't, you know, and, and I found myself and I probably sabotaged some things in my own life where I just decided I didn't care about studying or care about reading. Uh, and, and so I found myself also doing exactly what the birth order books tell you. I went into a non-competing area. He was in math, I went into music, right? And so that way I didn't have to compete with him. I couldn't compete with him. On, on some of the levels that he competed on because he was older than I was. In fact, research shows uh, that it's typical that an older sibling might do better on cognitive tests than a younger sibling. And so you find that. But what you find also is not only do you live in the shadow of someone else, and some of you may say, well, I don't live, I don't feel like I'm, I'm there. I'm not feel like I'm living in somebody else's shadow. Well, you're probably having somebody live in your shadow. You may be the other person. You may be the one that somebody's living in your shadow and don't feel like they measure up. And so they're struggling with that. I, I had a conversation with my little brother a couple weeks ago, and, and he brought that up in my life. And I felt badly that, that, that I hadn't been aware of that in his own life and, and didn't encourage him more or build him up more. And so you realize that we live in people's shadows and others live in ours. Uh, the guy that we're going to look at today lived in his brother's shadow. In fact, every time that we see his name mentioned in scripture in, in any of the gospels, it's, it says Simon Peter's brother. And you're thinking, wow, he lived in the shadow of a, of a, a more famous brother, uh, uh, Simon Peter. And so I, I just wonder, what did, how did that impact him? How did that impact how he felt about himself? And, and, and what can, do we have to take away from that? What I see from Andrew was whether it impacted him or not, he didn't allow it to impact him. And in fact... One of the things that we see from him is he followed the lead of the guy that mentored him, John the Baptist. And so we're going to have to look at John the Baptist a little bit this morning as well. So we're going to back up a little bit in the chapter as we see John the Baptist declining in attention while Jesus was increasing. It was Jesus moving to the front and John moving to the rear in regard to popularity. I mean, John was an incredibly popular teacher. He was an incredibly popular person. The, the, uh, he got the attention of Jerusalem. They knew all about him. They, all the religious leaders knew who he was. People and crowds were, were clamoring and coming to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And our guy that we're going to be talking about today was one of those guys. In fact, when you look at John chapter 1 and verse 35, it starts out and says, the next day. I'm going to stop right there. I know you don't usually stop on a phrase the next day, but that's a structural marker. That's a clue to it's a Bible study method. Write that down. Look for structural markers. This is one of those. The next day, 43, the next day. And then you see uh, 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 chapter 2 on the third day. So that makes sense. One day, two days, three days, right? Except there's a problem with that. 
If you look at verse 29, back up a little bit, the next day. Wait a minute. That means the day before. So you got day one and then 29 is day two and then 35 is day three and then 43 is day four. And, and you think, but that can't be day five because it says on the third day. So what is that talking about? Well, it was two days after this fourth day. So it's really the seventh day. He probably could have said three days later, but he didn't choose to do it that way. He just said on the third day, on the third day after they left apparently and, and went to Cana, left uh, Jerusalem and, or Jordan River and went to Cana, which would have been about a two-day journey. So uh, it fits. So you see these structural markers and you see there's this series of events and John is, is following these and tracing these. And so you back up and you think, wait a minute, I've got I've to understand what's going on with John if I'm going to understand what's going on in this passage. Because the very next thing he says, the next day, again, John. Well, is that John, the writer of this epistle? I mean, this gospel? No. It's John the Baptist, as we see as we back up. And in fact, you can back up all the way to verse 15 of chapter 1. That's where we begin to see John. Right after the word became flesh and dwelled among us, we've seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 15, John bore witness. What did he bear witness to? What was John doing? John bore witness about him and cried out, This is one of whom I said, He who comes after me. So he's going to show up on the scene of, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the scene now. And now this other one's going to come after me. And he's going to be more important than me. He's going to rank before me because he was before me. And you go, whoa. What is, what is John the Baptist saying here? Because he's already said that uh, he already ranks ahead of him. So he's not saying he was before me in the sense of ranking. He's already said that. He ranks before me because. So the reason he ranks bef uh, ahead of him is because he was before him. And you think, wait a minute. That's not what I read in the other gospels. In Luke's gospel, Mary shows up to Elizabeth's house. She's just newly pregnant and Elizabeth is already months along. John the Baptist was born first. So what is John saying here? He's saying Jesus was God. Jesus is God. Amen? That's what he's saying. Jesus is God. And then he goes on and says, now if you're, you're missing what I'm saying here, uh, 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 I'm not the Messiah. In fact, uh, we see that in verse 19 and following. They're saying, well, who are you? And John says, well, I'm not the Christ. He said, well, you must be Elijah or the prophet or somebody. Who are you? And he says, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. As Isaiah said, I'm the one that's preparing the way for the one who is coming. I'm the one who's preparing the way for this Messiah who is coming. And he says, the one who's coming, verse 27, he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. I'm not even worthy to untie the sandal of this person because they are so worthy. They are so much elevated above me because they are God. Because this person that's coming after me is the one who is the Messiah. I mean, John the Baptist and, and the Apostle John, obviously, is making clear who Jesus is. They're establishing right from the get-go who Jesus is. And in fact, this is a great book to start with. If you know somebody says, hey, where should I start reading the Bible? Please don't tell them Leviticus, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, they probably won't even make it through the book. I would tell you, start in the Gospel of John. Gospel of John gives you the story about Christ, the account of Christ's life, and it does it in a way that this purpose we know at the end is to lead somebody to faith. That, that hearing, that believing, you might have life in his name. That's the purpose we find out from John chapter 20. So we see that he's, he's saying right from the get-go, Jesus is God. Jesus is, uh, I'm, not, I'm not the one you're looking for. Jesus is that one, the Messiah, the Christ. He's the one who is worthy. And then he says in 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold the Lamb of God, which we saw in our passage. It says that same thing, but he adds this phrase that he doesn't repeat in the second one. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, he makes it clear, Jesus is the sin bearer. And he just got through saying, Isaiah said, so you go to Isaiah and you think, well, does it talk about in Isaiah, Jesus being sin bearer? Absolutely does. And in fact, in chapter 53, when it's talking about this, uh, the, uh, my servant, which he, he mentions uh, uh, in chapter 52 and verse 13 in this section, this is the servant of God, the servant of Yahweh. And it says in verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. In other words, all of us are sinful. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter. And like a sheep that is before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He's clearly talking about this one who was to come. This servant of Yahweh that was to come. That is the shepherd that is, uh, uh, that is talked about in Isaiah 53. Or this the sheep that was in, in Isaiah 53. He's the one who takes the iniquities. He's the one that is the sin bearer. And so you look at this, this, this layer of, of, of truths that he's laying before us about who the Christ is, who Jesus is. He's God. He's the Messiah. That, was, that, that John is, is, is saying, I'm making way the, straight the, uh, the way for him. He's the one who is worthy He's the one who is the sin bearer. I mean, that lamb of God also carries the idea of the Passover lamb. That was, that was painted on the doorpost of the houses of the people when they were in Egypt, Exodus chapter 12, Deuteronomy 16, where, our, um, where we see this, um, this idea that this was painted not only for our sins, but to spare the lives of the firstborn to deliver Israel from Egypt. But that that same Passover idea is what Jesus at the Last Supper, we'll see later in the book, says this blood is, my, is the new covenant in my blood. That he is the sin bearer that enacted the new covenant of which we are partakers when we believe on Jesus. We become, we opt in, so to speak, if I can use that terminology, we opt in. Whenever we believe on Jesus, we opt in to salvation, we opt in to eternal life. Because simply we believe what he has told us to believe. 
that we've received him, which he talked about in John 1.12 in the same chapter. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Simple faith. Well, John goes on and says more about this one. He says he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit in verse 33. And he says in 34, this is the Son of God. He doesn't want us to miss who Jesus is. He's, he's made it clear and he's hit it over and over again of who this one is that's coming. And so when it says the next day, again, John, it's not just a simple statement. We typically skip over that. It's like, no, you've got to go back up and see what John did. He pointed the way to Jesus. He said, this is the one. Now think about this. He's a popular preacher. Everybody's coming to John the Baptist. And John is saying, not me, but him. That's the one you need to follow. Can you imagine the ego issues that he might have internally had to deal with? And you, we always think, oh, he was perfect. He didn't have to deal with that stuff. He's a guy. He's a person. You deal with ego things. And you've got to deal with them. Or else we can't be good servants of Christ. If we care about what people think about us, if our ego is more important than, than Christ's glory, then, then what will happen is, is we'll find ourselves backing off. When you're in somebody else's shadow, your tendency is to feel either like you can't do it, or your tendency is to think that you're unimportant, that they're the important one, that you're unnecessary, that they're doing the job, and you're just kind of, you don't need to do anything. And so it causes us to talk ourselves out of finding our place. And that's not what we see in Andrew. And that's not what we see in his mentor, John the Baptist. I can tell you it's not easy to step down. I've had to do that over the last year, right? I mean, you've all seen me. I've, I, I was the lead pastor, the founding pastor, and then I turned over this church to, to Greg Lingle as the lead pastor. And, and I thought, oh, that would be a simple thing to do. It's time, and, and, he, and I'm excited about it, excited to support him as the lead pastor here. And so I was, I was excited about this step. And then when I first began to meet people in the community, I used to say, hi, I'm Greg Buckles. I'm the pastor of Mansfield Bible Church, right? And then I was like, oh, I can't say that. Uh, I'm a pastor? I'm, what am I, you know? And, and I'm founding pastor, or I'm... You know, and we began to wrestle, and then what does that look like, and what do I look like, and what do I do, and, and what do, how do I move forward? Because I don't believe that I'm supposed to retire at 65 from the Christian life. And I don't believe at 65 that God somehow rescinded his call on my life to be involved. In fact, our calls on our lives, we all have the call to be involved as believers in Jesus to all be followers all our life until the day we die, until there's no more light in these eyes, right? And so you got to just figure it out. How do, how do I change? How do I shift? How do I adjust? And, I, and, and some of the things that you're beginning to see are, are uh, one of the things that we're looking at doing is a Mansfield Bible Church Institute on, 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 uh, starting in January, and, and, and I love to teach, and so this gives me an opportunity to teach on a regular basis uh, on, on some things that uh, I haven't, you can't always hit on a Sunday morning, or at a level you can't hit on a Sunday morning, and so I'm like, I am excited about this. 
In fact, it's gotten my juices going. And, and you probably can pick it up by my tone of voice. I'm excited about missions. I've been excited about it. I thought that I was supposed to go into missions when I first graduated from college. And uh, here, you know, uh, uh, since 1977, when I graduated, uh, all of a sudden, it's like, you know, I've gone this long and I've been in the same place. And yet now God's opening some doors for me in ways that I never imagined. Getting to go to Pakistan in, in, in November, or really October 31st, I leave. And get an opportunity to go there and, and be there and be, uh, do, do the ministry that God's called me to do. And then get to go to Uganda in February, uh, January, February in Tanzania. And then Tanzania again in, in, uh, in June. And I'm just like, wow. I mean, this is exciting stuff. To get to invest in people and pay it forward to some pastors that have had no training. And I had all these opportunities. And so I, I, I'm excited about this next chapter and what God has for me and how this works and how this looks. But it also means that you kind of have to give up some of your ego stuff. If I would have let ego drive me, then, and I've watched it happen. I, I watched a pastor in, in Dallas that, that turned over a church to someone else, but he just couldn't let go of it. And they went through three or four pastors before they finally got one that, that could handle all of that. And I thought, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to do that. And so it means that in order to do what God wants us to do, we have to check our ego at the door. We got to think about that. And we also got to check not only our ego, but our lack of confidence. And to say, oh, well, they got this. Uh, I'm not, I, I know I don't have what they got. I don't have to have what they got. Andrew didn't have what his brother had. His brother Peter had. And yet God used him in a mighty way. And I'm, I, in fact, I have his picture in my office. Not a photograph, obviously. <laughs> but I have this picture. And I'll tell you, you'll see why later in the, in the message, why I have this picture. This was an artist rendition, a guy that lives up near Amarillo, uh, Kenneth Wyatt. And uh, he put together this picture. And I love this picture of Andrew. And in fact, if you look at the, uh, if you've been watching The Chosen, uh, probably many of you could identify the Peter character. I had to go online to see what the uh, uh, Andrew character looked like. He's the one on the right. Peter's the one on the left. And I thought, well, I don't even know what he looks like uh, according to their rendition of him. Because we're still focused on Peter. We still don't think about Andrew. He's not prominent in our thinking. He didn't write an epistle. His brother wrote two. You know, and so it's like, uh, uh, you know, how is that? All I could think of was going, you uh -huh, uh -huh. wrote out two epistles. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't mean to make it sound, you know, make Andrew sound worse or Peter sound, I mean, I just think they were people. They struggled with what we struggle with. They struggle. I'm sure they, that John the Baptist struggled with some ego issues. God, I'm doing what you asked me to do, but it doesn't feel so great. It's all right. It's what I want you to do. And you know why? Because Jesus is the one that people need to look to because he's the one that provides salvation. He's the one that, that his spirit, uh, he gives the spirit. And you kind of go, wow, yeah, I, you're right. 
Well, it says John was standing with two of his disciples. And we know one of them was Andrew because in verse 40, it says one of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. There it is, Simon Peter's brother. He was Andrew. But notice it said John was standing and Jesus, uh, and he looked as Jesus as he walked by. Jesus is moving, John is standing. I don't think that was accidental on, on John's part to write it that way. John was in the process of, of moving back. He was in the process of standing. Jesus was in the process of movement. And you see Jesus, the movement toward Jesus in this chapter and, 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 and as it goes further into the book. And so this idea that, that John is already passing the torch to Jesus, he's already passing, uh, uh, he's already paved the way, he's already prepared the way, and so now Jesus is coming forth. And he says, behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. I mean, can you imagine, here they are standing by John. He's standing there with two of his disciples. Uh, uh, John was standing with two of his disciples. So they're standing right next to him. And he says, behold the Lamb of God. And they immediately start following him. Start following Jesus and leaving John. I can almost picture, you know, I mean, this is me. I can almost picture John going, hello, I can see you, you know. <laughs> I'm right here. But he doesn't do that. It's his purpose. He's pointing them to Jesus. He wants them to follow Jesus. He's put his ego on, uh, on hold. He's checked it at the door. And, he's, and he's, he's encouraging that. And they followed Jesus. I love their response. They followed Jesus. I hope that with my life, one day, it is said, he followed Jesus. That's, I would be content with that. He followed Jesus. In fact, uh, in uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, great book to read, great read. The German title of that is simply following. Following. That's it. Following. That's what, that's what God encourages us to do, is to follow Jesus, to follow him. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, what are you seeking? Jesus was a master of asking kind of what seemed to be the obvious question, and yet very penetrating question, when he said, what are you seeking? I mean, because that's penetrating to the, what's your motivation? Why are you following me? Are you following me just because you're curious and you want to take a few photos, you know, selfies and, and get a signature? Or, or why are you here? Are you following me because you believe in who I am, who John just said that I am, that I am God, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one who gives the Holy Spirit, I'm the sin bearer? Which Jesus are you following? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. Now we know the fact that they explain, which means teacher. It's not a Jewish audience that he's writing to. He wouldn't have had to explain that to them. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, you see uh, the, the use of a lot of Jewishisms that aren't explained. So probably written to a Jewish audience. Uh, Mark uh, uh, written to a Roman audience because of the con uh, content. Luke to a Greek audience. This one to the church. This one to those who are, are interested in believing in Jesus. And so he's, he, he says, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now when, when you read that, you kind of scratch your head and go, what? 
Why did you ask that question? That almost sounds like some of the questions that I've, I've asked people whenever I've been around somebody that has a, a, you know, is, is well known or has a reputation or, or, you know, is famous. You know, you walk up and then you say something, you go, that was stupid. Why did I say that? You know, what possessed me to say, you know, where are you staying? It's like, what? Why would you ask where are you staying? That almost sounds creepy. In fact, it almost sounds like that they, they are uh, 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 people that are focused upon uh, 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 exposing who Christ is and they're wanting to bring the Sanhedrin. They're almost like what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when they needed somebody to point out, here's where Jesus is. This is where he's spending the night during the Passover. And so you kind of go, wow, why are they asking, where are you staying? And he said to them, and I love his response, come and you will see. An invitation. You see that invitation in Matthew, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. This idea of invitation, Jesus says, come and you will see. Come and you'll see who I am. You'll see how I, what I teach. You'll see who, uh, that I am exactly who John the Baptist says that I am. Come and you will see. A promise that they will see. A promise that they will understand. Not see but uh, only, but see and believe. See and understand. And then I love this simple response. It said, so they came. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. So they got to spend the day with Jesus. It says, for it was about the 10th hour. Now, they don't start their day. They didn't start their day at midnight. They started at 6. So you go 10 hours from 6 and it's 4 in the afternoon. So it's really more of the rest of the day that they got to spend with him for until he went to bed. And, and maybe he stayed up all night and prayed. Uh, we don't know. I don't know how long they stayed. But uh, uh, it says that it was about the 10th hour. Jesus loves that we spend time with him. Jesus loves that we want to know him. And in fact, we see this with, um, with uh, Andrew that uh, he's hanging out with Jesus later uh, and he's uh, uh, speaking, uh, or he's, they're asking a question, Jesus, when will these things be and when will they come to pass? And he's part of that group. He's interested in knowing about Jesus and about end times and about, he's, he's an interested learner. And we learn that from, from, from Andrew, but he's, he's willing to also just hang out with Jesus. I mean, I'd give my right arm to have been able to be, spend that one evening with Jesus. I mean, amazing. I just can't imagine what that must have been like. And yet, and yet, we can do that every single day because our Savior lives. Every day we get to spend with him. And here's the thing. If we see that time with the Lord as ought to or as duty, then we'll, we'll, we'll treat it differently than we see it as, I can't wait to spend time with my Savior today. Right? I mean, that changes our whole perspective. It changes the way that we approach him. And instead of saying, okay, well, check that box. I did my daily quiet time. It's like... It, you think you just want it to go on. I know when I first came to Christ, I was so hungry for Jesus. I was so hungry for his word that I would have to make myself stop. I would have two quiet times in the day. I'd have one in the morning, one in the evening, and I'd spend about an hour in the morning and I'd spend about an hour in the evening. And, and uh, some people were wondering, some of my fellow classmates were wondering, how do you get any time to study? And it's like, man, this is, this is, this is where it's at. 
I just wanted to spend time with Jesus. I, was, I didn't know what that was like. When I, when I was raised in a, a certain Christian tradition, God was wholly other. He was in an unapproachable light. And so you, you just kind of, you know, feared and trembled before him. And that was basically the only response to him. And to think that I could have this personal relationship with the God of the universe because Jesus died for me. And all I had to do was believe on Jesus. And now I was his child. And now I could just come to him at any point. Wow, I was hungry to know him. And I sensed that Andrew was somehow in that same boat. Now you would, you would think of Andrew, if he found Jesus and he was living in the shadow of his brother, that he wouldn't necessarily include his brother in the deal. Because if he did, then all of a sudden he'd be in his shadow in this area too. But notice the very next statement about him. It says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he first, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Wow. We have found the Messiah. And he wanted him to be a part of that. He brought him to Jesus. If you can show that picture uh, uh, that's in my office again, uh, that picture when I look at that, I, I think he brought people to Jesus. This is a guy who brought people to Jesus. And we, in fact, we see him in two other places in John's gospel bringing people to Jesus. And so when I look at that, I think that's what I want to be. I want to be like Andrew. I want to bring people to Jesus. That may mean sharing the gospel. It may mean that I do medical missions and that, my, that, that we love on these people and somebody else shares the gospel. I'm good with that. We had a guy that, that uh, got to share the gospel with 2,500 people at one of our last things. And I was, I was almost envious of him. I was thinking, boy, I would love to do that. And yet God really used that guy in my life because that guy was probably one of the most dry speakers I've heard, you know, in terms of no enthusiasm. I mean, he, he just, you know, he just, but he simply gave the gospel and I needed to see that. That it's just a simple presentation and then watching these people come to Christ. And I was like, wow, it doesn't have to be all dancing around and giving the great answers or what, just, just give them Jesus. And so I think of Andrew as that, that kind of guy who just brought people to Jesus. We see that in John chapter 6, uh, if you'll put that verse up there. In John chapter 6, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. It was Andrew who brought the boy to Jesus. I mean, all the other disciples are going, I don't know how we're going to have any food. We don't have enough money. I mean, and at least Andrew's going, well, what about this kid? Hey, come on over here. I want you to meet Jesus, you know? And so he's introducing him to Jesus. He said, I don't know how this is going to help. I mean, it's not much, but you know, here it is. You also see in John chapter 12 that he brings these Greeks. Now, this is an interesting one because it says, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. So they must have been proselytes to Judaism. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. So now we know he lived in Bethsaida. Uh, uh, and it says, with a request, sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Now you'd think that Philip would just take him to see Jesus. No, he takes him to Andrew. And uh, apparently all the disciples knew, just take him to Andrew. Andrew's going to introduce him. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. We see these three incidents where Andrew just simply a guy bringing people to Jesus. He brings the boy, he brings the Greeks, he brings his brother. And you think, what would have happened if he hadn't brought his brother? 
I mean, think about how the Gospels, I mean, they might be pretty dry after that, right? We wouldn't have this guy that we could relate to and go, yeah, I'm like that guy, you know? I, I stick my foot in my mouth more often than I, I can count. I'm so, so thankful for Peter, you know? I love his, his epistles that he wrote. Powerful stuff, encouraging things, uh, talking about the hope that we have in the gospel. I mean, when you look at, at, at Peter's gospel, I mean, epistle, and well, Peter's gospel would be the gospel of Mark because uh, be, uh, Mark was hung around him. Uh, but uh, you look at Peter's statement of our salvation in um, um, 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I just think, wow. I mean, if that was all he wrote, that would be plenty about the gospel. And it's written, and we can read that and be encouraged by that because Andrew thought first to bring his brother into the mix. I'm blown away by Andrew. He brought him to Jesus. And the interesting thing is, is Jesus looked at Peter and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And I, I can almost imagine Andrew going, wait a minute, you didn't give me a name. You know, why'd you give him? I mean, all the ego stuff could kind of flare up at that moment too, and yet it doesn't. And we see Andrew faithfully taking the position that God has for him and, and being excited about the position God has for Peter and, and I'm sure praying for him. And I think that's where we need to be. We need to check our egos at the door in, in, in regard to Christianity. We need, to, we need to be excited about what God is doing and what he is going to do and how he's going to make it work. And we find the place that was intended for us. This last week, I had, an, had another opportunity to, to, for that to be tested. Uh, I'm on the Mansfield Mission Center board. We care not only about uh, global missions, but local missions as well. And I'm on the, uh, the board there, and I'm the vice uh, president of the, of the organization. And usually the vice president moves into the president position, right? But there's another guy that has a great passion. I think he's the right guy for the position. And I said, I think he needs to be in this position. And I encouraged that, and, 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 uh, uh, and then, I, then I also said, you know what, the next guy that's the vice president, my term expires in about a year or so, and that next guy needs to be the person that's kind of in waiting and the next person in line and, and, and has a longer term than me. And, and, and I, I think that, you know, and, and the question is, is, okay, what about your ego? What about your place? Is there a place to fight for yourself? It's like, that's not the time or the place. I care about the organization. What is best for the organization? And if it means that I step away, then that's what's best and that's what needs to be done. And so I encouraged that direction and that decision. Why? Because I care about the organization. What should we do in regard to our own lives? And it doesn't mean that you don't think about it and go, oh, wow, you know, I'm kind of left out or whatever. It's all right. Just deal with, lick your wounds if you need to. But I want Jesus to be the focal point in my life. I don't want it to be about me. I'm not here. I'm not 
uh, the founding pastor here to stroke my own ego. I'm here just to serve my Lord. And I hope that we all do that. And I don't say that and I don't share these things to lift myself up in my own humility. Oh yeah, he's really humble because he spoke about it. I mean, I'm not trying to do all of that. All I want to do is I want to serve Jesus. I want it just it to be said, he followed Jesus. That's what I want it to say. That's what I want, you know, on my tombstone or whatever, uh, it to say, he followed Jesus. And Jesus, he pointed people to Jesus. He brought people to Jesus. I have another picture in my office. It's a world map. And I think about Acts 1-8. That's the objective. That's the mission. Acts 1-8, reach the world. Global missions, global and local missions, reach the world. Every place is important. And we do it by bringing people to Jesus. And we're following the example of Andrew, a guy that, that just simply did that. And my encouragement is find your place. And don't let your ego or don't let your lack of self-confidence cause you to miss what God has for you. Because God has something special. And when you embrace it, you're going to find the great joy that I feel right now as I think about my new role of teaching and, and missions. It's, it excites my heart. And I think about how God may be freeing me up from one thing in order to do something else. And I'm in. I'm in. I hope that, that I follow him until my dying breath. I hope that I follow the example of Andrew. And, and we don't know how biblically he died. We don't know. Uh, it doesn't say how he passed on. But we do have a story that's, that's part of tradition. It's part of, uh, um, uh, I think, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, and, and that is that Andrew led a, a Roman provincial governor's wife to Christ. And that Roman provincial governor was angry. And he wanted his wife to recant. She wouldn't recant. So instead, he decided to crucify Andrew. And he crucified him on a cross in the shape of an X. And he didn't nail him to the cross because he wanted him to suffer longer. So he strapped him on to this cross that was in the shape of an X. And Andrew, as he's there for two days before he dies, he's encouraging people as they walk by to give their life to Jesus. I think, wow. May I be like that? That with every breath that's in me, I want to encourage people to follow Jesus I, and, and to belong to him. And I want to encourage you to be the same. I, I know this, this is a challenging message, but I want to encourage you. Think through, what is it holding me back from taking that next step of getting involved in whatever it is God has for me? Maybe it's to... Uh, Come to our, uh, we're going we're gonna to show a game on, on October 9th for the men. Men, come. Watch the Dallas Cowboys, uh, hopefully with Dak, not Dakless, but uh, play the, the Rams. We're going to have chili cook-off. Bring somebody with you. Somebody that may not know Jesus. And we just hang out with them and they hang out with us. <coughs> So that we can be those who take that step like Andrew. Our goal, our, lo our, our love, our desire is to bring someone to Jesus. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you.
And we pray, Father, and thank you for Andrew, that he's someone who just didn't let ego drive him. He was someone who gave his life to you, gave his, gave his life for you. He was someone who loved you and followed you. And he's still alive because he believed on Jesus and Jesus is alive and he promised us eternal life. Thank you that Christ came as God, as a sin bearer, as the one who gives the spirit of God, the son of God, who is worthy. Thank you for him. And thank you for a person like Andrew who just simply followed you, living in the shadow of Peter, and yet he lived for you. May we follow his example. May we be those who just simply bring people to Jesus as we follow you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.